We like to think of science as rolling forward in search of truth, probing into the unknown and shedding new light onto areas hidden in darkness. In reality, our understanding of the world tends to go forward in fits and spurts. There are long periods where little progress is made. Entrenched theories, even if judged unsatisfactory, can block progress from sheer inertia. Geology had been stuck seemingly forever in trying to make sense of why the surface of our planet looks the way it does. There are mountains here, valleys there, punctuated by volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. It was hard to understand. A revolution took place starting in the late 1950s, which led to a new way of thinking about geologic processes. Our guest today, UC Deep Emeritus Professor of Geology Eldridge Morris, took an active part in the revolution that shaped our modern understanding of plate tectonics. Dr. Morris observed a curious pattern in rocks from around the world. Rocks that seemed to have no logical connection were actually explained well by the fact that bits of ocean floor had been tossed up onto dry land. Such disruptions were not a new idea. It had long been known that the top of Mount Everest was limestone once lying at the bottom of the sea. But Dr. Moores was able to determine from the pattern of these rocks clues about how the continents had slid about in the past. Plate tectonics has been a major success story among scientific theories and we're delighted to be able to speak to Dr. Moores about it. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Professor Eldridge Moores. Thank you for having me. Can we start out by looking back at the time of uh, Alfred Wegener, a man about yeah. 1912, proposed the continents had been sliding around on the Earth's surface, a theory that made a lot of sense in many ways, but it's safe to say his ideas were not exactly accepted by the experts. No, they weren't accepted by all experts. I think it's fair to say that they were not accepted by North American uh, and mostly U.S. Uh, geologists. Uh, there was some acceptance of them in Europe and a fair amount of acceptance in countries in the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa uh, um, and places in South America, Brazil, for example, where his ideas and his reconstructions really help them understand their geology better. Well, I guess if you're in Africa or South America looking at those continental borders, they do look like a perfect fit. <laughs> well, they do, and certain features of the geology are, are explained better by having the other continents nearby them. So, as I say, in the Northern Hemisphere, and especially in the U.S., uh, Wegener, his ideas received only scant support, and the, the most of the geologic establishment was... Uh, became firmly opposed to them, to his ideas for uh, a couple of decades. Yeah, to read about it, I mean, it was just, he was, he was greeted with just hostility. There was some hostility, that's true, but there were some few people who said that we better keep an open mind, <laughs> and these people, of course, proved right in the end, I think. Well, Dr. Morris, I know in reading about, about your, your, your history, you were at uh, the prestigious Caltech back in the 1950s, and I just have to ask, did you encounter Charles Richter of uh, earthquake-scale fame? I think I may have seen him in a couple of departmental parties, but <laughs> I certainly didn't have any, any direct right, involvement with him. I'm sorry to hear that, because he sounds like quite a character. He was indeed a, 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 an interesting person. Well, things changed in the late 1950s. I gather that once we got a look at the topography of the ocean floor, some surprises emerged. There was a mid-oceanic ridge that turned out to be uh, by far the longest mountain ridge on, on, on Earth, and this opened some eyes. It, it is a long feature. It's, it is, unfortunately, a little bit um, uh, misleading to call it a long mountain range, and I know uh, that's a, a commonly used term. It's about, it has about the same slope as the 
Great Valley does between Sacramento and Reddick. So if you want to call that a mountain range, <laughs> that's what you've got. Okay. It, uh, it's a very sort of gentle feature, and there are mountains and uh, irregular things at the, at the crestal region of it. But in general, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty low-flat-line thing, just gently inclined. Okay. Yeah. Well, I gather as they were looking at, at the ocean floor, uh, a lot of scientific studies sort of started following one after the other. Uh, I guess a classic one by your future collaborator, Fred Vine, was showing evidence that, that the seafloor down there was, was indeed spreading. Yes. Uh, actually, it was one of my professors at Princeton when I was a graduate student who first came up with the idea of, of spreading of the ocean floor that he published uh, in 1962, at the time, Fred Vine was a graduate student at Cambridge University, and, and Harry Hess was this person's name, and Hess had this idea that um, basically you could, you could explain uh, the paleomagnetic information, that is, the magnetism of rocks and the direction of magnetism in the rocks, which was showing that there was a lot of variability, and you could explain that if the continents did move around or if the ocean floors did open as as uh, we later came to realize it, and and as Wegener had first proposed, and what Fred Vine did as a graduate student, he went on a an oceanographic cruise to the Indian Ocean, and he discovered that you had magnetic stripes that were symmetrical about the mid-ocean ridge, and that these magnetic stripes could be interpreted as uh, features formed as the ocean spread and the Earth's magnetic field reversed itself in a pattern which had been only recently worked out uh, mostly by field work in the western United States. And I gather that a conference, in 19, uh, a later conference by 1969, uh, put, put this yeah. to all together and it really just tipped the balance in, in the world of geology. It, it is. When Fred published his paper in 1963 and that began to get people's attention, there was a, another chink in the, in, the, in the armor of the new building idea, which was that you had faults in the oceans that became known as transformed faults. The San Andreas Fault of, of uh, California is now considered one of those that offset the ridge, and uh, they had uh, a certain offset that showed that the ocean floors were spreading and not that the, that the ridges crest had just been sort of slid away from each other. Um, work on the seismic activity, the seismicity of the Earth in the 1960s also showed that earthquakes were closely sort of located along the boundaries of what became known as plates. Essentially 90% of the world's seismic activity is along these boundaries. And the nature of those boundaries uh, became sort of clear in the sort of late 1960s, from 1966 to 1968. That was a very exciting time to be alive, I think. Yeah, it just seems like all of a sudden the ring of fire was explained, why there's earthquakes here, why there's volcanoes there. It, 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 it all made sense. But uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the fact that despite the overwhelming evidence that was coming together then, well, like, like almost any theory you can cite, it was not universally accepted, I gather. It, it wasn't universally accepted. You know, part of the problem is 
if people are older, it's hard for old people to accept new ideas. <laughs> it's much easier for for young people to to develop new ideas and to to run with them. And if they don't work, try something else. Uh, older people have a lot uh, invested in their previous, you know, previously acquired memory, and and it's just harder to distance yourself from it. I think I find that. Uh, that's a factor in my own life right? today, I think. I think I need to plug an excellent book, Assembling California. Author yeah. John McPhee followed you out in some field trips, and he wrote about the geology of our state in a rather accessible way from what, what you taught him, and I imagine you're quite pleased with the book. I was very uh, happy to see the book come out, and I have to admit it sort of changed my life in that what, it, what happened was all of a sudden all kinds of people came to me and, and asked, for me to give them field trips. These are non-scientists, non-geologists. And so I've had a sort of second career since McPhee's book came out in the early 90s, uh, taking people on field trips, uh, mostly centered uh, from or based here in Davis, which is a very good place because it's easy to get to things in all directions uh, very quickly. Well, I hope when you hold one in the future, I could be a part of that. That sounds wonderful. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, we, 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 can, we can get you on our list. Uh, All right. We have one coming up in a few weeks. Well, reading McPhee's book, I, w I was stunned to learn a lot of things, that the mother load in California is apparently one big, or I guess how you look at it, small, uh, separate chunk of rock that crashed into the rest of North America millions of years ago. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the idea that some of us have, and uh, <laughs> it's not an uncontroversial idea, but I think it's probably fairly accurate to say that, I think. Well, another thing that was really wonderful and, and, and uh, a great way to visualize how things happen here on the surface of the Earth is to, uh, to try and think of California by looking at a map of the Indonesian archipelago. Evidently, yeah. as Australia is moving towards Asia, there's this great right. giant complex of islands, and, and I guess that you and others believe this is a good model for maybe the time when California was, was, uh, was really an island complex. I think that's right. I think that's what you had before the collision of the oceanic terrains that we see in the northern Sierras and the Klamath Mountains and uh, in Oregon and, uh, and up in British Columbia and a little bit in western Nevada, uh, that you had a whole series of, of chains of islands, which you call island arcs, and they were possibly separate from each other, looking rather like Indonesia or uh, possibly like the Philippines, and all these things coalesced and and landed up against the continental margin of North America. And the result is what you see with a lot of uh, you know, addition of erosion and, and uplift and, and squeeze, squeezing of the rocks and intrusion of granitic uh, melts and so forth is what you see in the, in the western margin of, of North America, including the Sierra Nevada. Well, I have a question that didn't come up anywhere in, in, in that book or elsewhere, but I want to ask, I want to ask you anyway, since I, since I have you here, our planet has a lot more of its surface devoted to water than it actually does land. Uh, is it fair to think of water as maybe a lubricant to help the continents slide around? Absolutely. It, it, there are studies that have been shown that, that probably were it not for the water lubricating the plate margins, uh, the interfaces where one plate slides beneath another, probably they they would probably grind to a halt. Hmm. And uh, one of the reasons that Venus probably doesn't have plate tectonics as we know it is because um, uh, maybe they're not moving, or in fact Venus is the opposite sense. It's uh, perhaps 
uh, it's even hotter. It's hotter than the Earth, and so you may have some sort of different tectonics. But huh. Mars may have had plate tectonics that began and never got anywhere because it lost its water. Well, I have to ask about that. Uh, Mars has similar features. It's got big volcanoes like we have on Earth. It's apparently got a big roof valley similar to our, our, right. our uh, maybe the San Andreas Fault. Uh, yeah. It used to have an ocean, based on what we now know, but the water's missing. Well, any thoughts on where it went? Some of it may be locked up in the rocks, or hidden. some of it's hidden, presumably, in some of the craters in, in shadows in, in, in the northern hemisphere of Mars or in the other uh, south polar region of Mars. But probably a lot of it also was lost by dissociation of the water molecule into hydrogen and oxygen gas. Well, getting back to California, uh, it could be said that land from just west of the actual city of San Francisco all the way to the tip of Baja is evidently sliding north. So in 50, 50 million years or so, L.A. and San Diego will be basically on an Arctic island aimed at Alaska. If the current motions continue okay. like they like they're, have been continuing for the last uh, 30 million years or so, it's true that... that uh, Rocks to the west of San Francisco, in fact, rocks there in Santa Cruz and Point Reyes Peninsula and, um, and Bodega Head and so forth, those rocks will continue to move northwest with respect to North America and will ultimately end up in a couple of tens of millions of years in, in the Gulf of Alaska. So it, it makes for an interesting uh, sort of speculation as to what things might look like in the future. And... The other question you have to have, ask is, how many of these things may have happened along the margin of Western North America or other continents in the geologic past? And we're only beginning to sort of sort this out. Well, speaking of geologic past, if you, if you roll the clock backwards, and you and others have done, uh, you, can, you can really see with a fair amount of confidence now how the uh, continents used to line up in past eons. So... Uh, this, I guess, spills over into making us understand biology and how life has evolved in it better than we ever have before. Oh, sure. It, it really does. And uh, in addition, there's some evidence that suggests that it may be that life could have, have come to existence. It may have begun along uh, submarine hot springs along mid-ocean ridges. Yeah, fascinating. I'm sorry we don't have more time, and I only have one final question for you, but it is that, like in any discipline, plate tectonics is not the last word uh, in geology. I mean, you can't ever say that you're, you're at the end of the line in science. There's a few things maybe it doesn't explain as well as uh, one might hope. Do you think with more study those are going to be made to fit, or that we might see some modifications in coming years? I would not be surprised to see some modifications. I, I think there, there are areas where it doesn't exactly fit, and one is in the great sort of zone of continent collision that you see from the Mediterranean all the way through the Himalaya and Tibet and into Southeast Asia and into Indonesia, there the plate model doesn't fit as well as it does in the ocean. And there'll be other things, I think, that will result from our greater understanding, developing understanding of the deep Earth's interior. Well, Dr. Eldridge Morris, we thank you so much for speaking with us. I want to plug before we leave again John McPhee's excellent book, Assembling California. And I hope that in the future I can uh, maybe travel over to Davis and, and uh, maybe talk more about some of this fascinating topic. It would be a pleasure to, to meet with you, and thanks for having me on the program. You're welcome.